Well, you know, sometimes what what's I've had this conversation with some friends. Some people will like just wait till they they've read everything or done everything. And uh, and the one thing a, a dance coach told me from the beginning is um, learning is by doing. Sometimes you have to fake it till you make it. Welcome to the Power Hour, the weekly podcast that will motivate you to pursue your passion and to achieve success. I'm Adrienne Herbert, international speaker, fitness coach, Adidas global ambassador and entrepreneur. Each week, I'll be talking to today's leading coaches, creatives, change makers and innovators to find out their daily habits, morning routines and rules to live by. The Power Hour is all about taking just one hour each day to help you improve your life and unlock your full potential. Whether you want to build a business, write a book, run a marathon, or maybe you're just looking for a spark of inspiration, the Power Hour is going to help you get there faster. Welcome back to the Power Hour podcast. Earlier this month, I visited New York and I had the opportunity whilst in New York to interview not one, but two incredibly inspiring women. So this episode today is an interview with one of those women. She is a former Broadway professional dancer. She was a ballerina who later found a passion for boxing. So now she is a boxer. She's an athlete. She's a coach. She's a movement director. She's so many things. She's so creative, so wonderful. and an all-round badass. So here it is, my episode of The Power Hour with Jaws Nelson. So for anyone listening to The Power Hour podcast today who doesn't know much about who you are, what you do, I guess, I mean, where do we start? We've had a kind of a similar journey mm-hmm. in some ways. Yeah. And we met a few years ago, hit it off. Yeah. I was like, I love this girl. She's so cool. <laughs> She's so intense and cool. I'll let you tell us, Jules, about your journey. Um, I guess why you got started, how you got started and what has led you here. All right. Well, I've thought about this journey, you know, and how to explain it because I almost I love to explain it as having like a lot of different lives, right? Living a lot of different lives in this one life because um, I feel like I've changed my path so many different times but they all seem to connect um and a little backstory with my upbringing and my childhood because it played a major part in who I am today uh because I started training at such a young age to become a dancer and I had dreams of becoming a ballet dancer when I was quite young we're talking like starting at three at seven, really understanding that that's what I wanted to do, getting connected to instructors and teachers who understood the business, and then putting me on that career path when I was nine, 10. And uh, I went to a boarding school when I was 11, 12 for ballet, and it was a professional boarding school. Um, And I was supposed to stay there until I graduated from high school, but during the school, I realized that I wanted to do more than just ballet. I had this knack for acting and singing. And from there, I moved to a different uh, school where I learned all those things. And the ballet was always what made me special. And I think um, was what was my secret um, uh, sauce. I don't know, something that made me stand out from everyone else because I had that strong foundation. And I, from there, I ended up moving to New York and 
being fortunate enough to work in the performing arts and doing some tours and a lot of different dance jobs and Broadway and um how old were you when you moved to New York mm, yeah and and I also sorry I was thinking when you were talking then about you know did you have um an, an influence or a you know when it comes to ballet and dance what inspired you when you were really young when you look back to want to to want to be a performer to want to dance yeah that's actually a really good question and I'm not sure this is going to sound crazy but I'm not sure if anyone really has asked me that exact question in that way because I think about when I think about why I started doing dance you know it really was my mom she I think she saw me dancing a lot around the house and she just saw me as a performer and she was probably my main influence I don't remember ever watching a ballet dancer as a child and being like wow I want to be like that I think I was inspired by the older kids in the classes but also oddly enough like I was always very athletic and I wanted you know I, I was good at sports but I'm not sure exactly I can't, I can't even point my put my finger on why I truly wanted to dance at that young age mm. I, it just felt right and fun and I loved it and you know I think every morning, every day, I I was inspired to do it. And of course, like Mikhail Brzezhnikov, I think he was a big influence at some point because I always was a tomboy and I, I liked to watch him and try to do his dances, like Alice Cone turns instead of Fortes. Mm. I'd be like, I want to do Alice Cone turns. <laughs> and I want to do the big Gran Allegro across the floor with the men. Like I always kind of wanted to be like, the strong ballet dancer and ultimately I think that's why I started that's what influenced me to um start performing uh was it was my mom and then from there growing into Mm. you know so so when you moved so how old were you when yeah when you came to New York City I was I was 17 I was turning 18 when I moved here and um I was lucky enough to move with a friend she was she went to the boarding school with me and she's awesome she's very talented and everyone I went to boarding school with honestly like a majority of them became professional ballet dancers but then everyone else is just so cool and unique and they have this energy about them I think it's it was a special school because we were 60 70 kids from around the world not just the United States like my roommate was from Brazil or Japan Korea um so a lot of cool mixture of of people and kids and passion um do you think that prepared you for coming to a city like new york yeah because it wasn't surprising when i met different people and i uh i already knew how to do my laundry (laughs) and uh make my bed and i had a credit card obviously because you're younger and they're like or a debit card okay they're like, uh, my parents were like, uh, you need a debit card to pay for things. This yeah, is odd. Yeah. Giving an 11 year old that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so then you came here and yeah, uh, yeah you went into doing theatre. Mm-hmm. So and you performed on Broadway. Mm-hmm. What was the first first gig? Um, my first gig was actually not a theatre show. It was a movie. <laughs> this always makes me crack up. So I ended up booking a um one of like the main dancers on that movie step up 
like Disney Touchstone movie. Yeah. Yes, we know the movie. <laughs> Ultra low budget movie. And I was one of the dancers in like the finale scene. And through, if you watch the movie, like I'm all throughout the movie, but obviously you can't really see me that much. But And you look different then. Your hair was... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I had weird hair. It was, I don't know, the choices I made in my life hair wise like I can't I'm not sure what I'm I was ever thinking like I don't know I think it's all emotional like my hair is so emotional for me when I'm going through something or I want to change I don't know why the first thing I do is destroy my hair it's a way to express though right you know? it is but I don't I don't know why I always did like I've literally tried every color yeah. cut my hair every way I've you know yeah. but it's like uh, yeah I think for a lot of people changing <laughs> your hair apparently when a woman um Oh, what was the quote? Something about like when a woman gets a new haircut or cuts her hair short, mm-hmm. she's ready for big change. You know, oh, it's wow. like, yeah, she's ready to wow. make a big change in her mm-hmm. life when you change your hair. Yeah, well, I did that a couple years ago. <laughs> I just chopped all my hair off. Yeah, you were ready And then for the time before is when I actually left the ballet school. So there you go. Yep. Yep. Big change. Um, Yeah. And then a couple weeks later, you're like, uh, okay, what did I do? <laughs> but... So Step Up was first. Step Up. And then theater-wise, I did a national tour of Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Okay, wow. Yes. Yes. <laughs> a lot of jumping around and mm-hmm. smiling in that yeah. show. Yeah. <laughs> Heavy dance show. But, um, yeah, so I was lucky enough to do uh, that sort of thing. And then um, the last show I was in was called Forza Prota. It was aerial acrobatics, off-Broadway show. All movement, no singing, no like dialogue. It was all just really like um, immersive theater. So that was a whole other way of expressing yourself. Like you think you kind of learned yourself as a performer, and then you get you get thrown into this whole other world where people are like, mm, actually, <laughs> you're shit. You, <laughs> you need to like learn how to you know be honest and true and and that I. Uh, I actually really respect the cast I was with because maybe they were a little older than me, but they also were very raw personalities and they, they liked to like dig to the root of um, you as a performer and they can see straight through bullshit. So Mm. those, the producer, the directors, like they all were so the dance captain and all the performers in, in the show, they like, they wouldn't accept a mediocre performance like every night you needed to bring something to it because that's the way like they program their lives as well they're almost like super passionate Mm. in a sense where it can be uh, over the top and then um you know they drain themselves of their energy but that's how they they like to operate Mm. which i which i respect so it was cool to explore that and you were also in Rock of Ages on Broadway. Yeah. And now Rock of Ages, I mean, for anyone listening to this who is a theatre fan, <laughs> you know, musical theatre fan, Rock of Ages was, I mean, it had the biggest, you know, cult following of like it hardcore was, yeah. fans. What was that like being a part of that show? That was, it was sick. And I do have to say the cast, they were so fun. Probably some of the, my closest friends now. And 
it's just because everyone had so much fun in the audience and every night was truly like a rock concert and you can relate mm-hmm. to yep. with the show yeah we will rock you yeah we will in. rock you yeah so they're both like rock stars. you get to literally live this like alter ego like total persona and even though you do it on stage there's an element of it that followed you off of the stage and like people became really obsessed with you out of costume even like just wanted to know more about you and I mean the stage door was wild for Rock of Ages I was I was shocked always I was like wow these like we have people groupies <laughs> you know yeah. which is hilarious because it makes sense for like a band a rock band um to have groupies but we had people who would come to the show literally almost every night and be right there in the front row singing with you they knew your name they knew what you were doing and I mean I I liked it I'm not gonna yeah. you know act like wild. I didn't I and think how, it was fun yeah you know it was it was definitely a whirlwind Mm. and so. did you have social media then because you know it's obviously changed now but like yeah was did you have social media gosh then? not really no I and I got into social media pretty late and um I, I can't imagine if if I did back then oh man the fans it would have been fans. awesome actually <laughs> Blow up. I'm like man that would have been so cool but um yeah no I it would have been very cool I, I can mm. I can imagine now as a performer, it must be so exciting with social media, mm. being able to just like completely show your world and and really let people in on what it's actually like, because that's interesting. Like yeah. That whole behind the scenes, behind the curtain um, look on performing arts and actually what it takes and yeah, physical, sure. emotional, mental demands. Like I think that's a cool thing to show. On social media. Yeah, and I think for young people now who want to get into the business and who want to, you know, as you said, having that access and seeing the person without their costume backstage, the work ethic, the daily consistent, you know, whether that's the vocal warm-ups, the Mm -hmm. physical training, the rest, the recovery, recovery, I think it is, it must... I guess you you don't have to go into things now, you know, not knowing what to expect. Yeah, yeah. It it definitely makes you stronger for whatever may come your way in that sense yeah Mm. so I guess you're talking about chapters so you know Mm -hmm. you had ballet and then theater and being a rock star so what was the (laughs) next chapter how did you go from what was the transition yeah so the transition was into fitness Mm. so that's like the big transition that's like the big topic now the conversation now and um what's interesting is I always like taught dance classes or like little boot camps here and there just for fun Mm. not even putting your mind into it um you know started taking boxing on the side during the whole performing arts thing just for a workout just for fun and then one day I remember talking to a good friend of mine and just like wanting to do do more and we we started talking about like fitness and modeling and I was getting hired by companies like Reebok and other fitness brands to do shoots but I was a dancer but they were hiring me as a model Mm -hmm. so I got really curious because I couldn't believe how much money they would pay someone for a shoot and I was like holy crap so I started googling and seeing like how I can model because I'm not tall Mm. and I was like how can I do this how can I model how can I make this a business how can I make money from this because it's enjoyable and I can do it during the day and go to the show at night Mm -hmm. 
So I started getting into it, found an agent, took pictures. That's how I, I mean, the process to get an agent is a whole other conversation. But um, I got an agent and I started working as a fitness model. Been there. Yeah. Yep. And what's kind of crazy is I never saw it becoming more than just a sidekick. And one day, I mean, I'm like flying in one month to L.A., to Portland, to Chicago. Like, I I couldn't believe it for different print jobs and videos for different fitness brands, like all different fitness brands. And I was just like, well, what's happening? I think this is becoming my career Mm. this this is becoming my job and and it's true I slowly transitioned over to fitness and it it really was from being a dancer and booking jobs as a fitness model the more I did fitness shoots the more I wanted to learn about fitness so then I started educating myself in training and uh wanted to get a job that could combine fitness knowledge and performance and dance so that's where I got my first a a group fitness job at SoulCycle Mm. and from SoulCycle I just kept growing as a coach Mm. as a instructor and I learned a lot about what I like about fitness and what I don't like about the fitness business and what really works for me Mm. and um the Sorry, I didn't want to interrupt you. Oh, I was no, just no, thinking, no. I think the, truth, the truth is like the performance is what really um, sustained everything, though. Like, uh, I, I think something I've always wanted to talk about was your vocal cords and your voice as an instructor, a group fitness instructor, because we expect so much of our bodies and our mind, but then we neglect. Our voice and you know I think it's an epidemic in the business a lot of people lose their voice as a, as a fitness instructor and we just kind of like chop it up to something silly and it's really not silly like getting vocal surgery getting vocal nodes and problems like that it's not like a laughing matter and it's not something that you should be ashamed about but it's also something that you shouldn't be going through at in your mid 20s like mm. you, you shouldn't be getting surgery on your cords mm. and that's something I would love to like explore that even more but that's one thing that performing arts has really given people an edge who's coming into fitness because they're not losing their voice they they can teach multiple classes a week it's, it's a very similar schedule as a performer and there's so many parallels and that's why people always say, well, why are performers, why do they teach fitness? You know, why, why aren't they performing anymore? I'm like, well, because they, they have the strength and the resilience as an instructor to do it the right way without damaging their core, their body. They have, they have the endurance to do it. Mm. And I, I and mean, it's like a performance, you know. It it's is like a performance. absolutely. And you know, the, um, there's so many things that you're talking about that I can I can personally relate to. Mm-hmm. But I know that you know in the London fitness scene, there are yeah. lots of um, ex pro dancers or performers who have transitioned into the fitness space. And you know, there's so many parallels as you described. But you know, you think back to what you described about ballet and the training, and you know, the discipline, the consistency, the work ethic. When you started doing the the fitness modeling. You know, it's interesting that you have an athletic body type and then when you dance and you are 
toned and sculpted and you know I remember doing fitness modeling myself mm-hmm. and as a dancer it's almost like you're ticking all the boxes for them because yeah. you might not be then you know a, a cyclist or a boxer or mm-hmm. a runner or whatever you're doing in that shoot mm-hmm. but your body looks like you are yeah yeah and you can perform the exercises you have you have enough self-awareness that you can do it in the right way without you know still paying respect to those exercises and those crafts and sports but as a dancer you're very self-aware of how it looks yeah Mm -hmm. from a a visual perspective and you know your own body so if they say oh we want to show the shorts and we want to show the top and it needs to move and it needs to Mm -hmm. have the energy or it needs to you need to hold you need to repeat that again and again and And again again. and you're like okay cool because that's what I've done in a dance studio Mm -hmm. for 10 years so you know how to do it so yeah I think that is a really interesting point because for people who maybe don't know that they're like well why are these like dancers rocking up to this thing pretending looking like they're you know looking like they're runners or like they're I don't know boxers or whatever Mm -hmm. but then it's interesting you then went and said okay I really want to educate myself and coach and train and, you know, to get to, I guess, the the level that you're at now. Yeah. Well, you know, sometimes what, what's, I've had this conversation with some friends, some people will like just wait till they, they've read everything or done everything. And, uh, and the one thing a, a dance coach told me from the beginning is, um, learning is by doing, sometimes you have to fake it till you make it. And, a lot of times, especially with personal training, and obviously you need to know certain things to protect whatever, you know, maybe you train your your friend first or whatever. But a lot of times I fear people, um, I feel that people fear starting fitness or personal training because A, they're, they're worried about what other people think and B, they feel like they don't have enough knowledge yet. And one thing is you gotta do, you have, you have to start somewhere and grow from there. Like, you know, if you have that self-awareness, you are in control of your body and you know how you move, you keep it simple and then you build slowly from there and you can have a business and you can, you can be a competitor and then educate yourself as you go. I mean, in a perfect world, I would, I would love to be completely well off rich and be able to just have loads of time to educate just sit read books and take the courses and and go back to college and get my degree on this but you know unfortunately I don't have that ability I have to make a living I have to you know um, provide for myself and keep my education going so I need a job but I also on the side on the weekend I'll take workshops I'll read books I'll you know I'll enroll in a course but you know I still need to keep the ball rolling in some sort of capacity and so when a lot of people ask me you know how to get started or they don't feel like they're ready and I'm like well you know actually just doing it getting out there and finding your way whether it's like one or two clients as a personal trainer one could be your friend you know Mm. um getting out there and putting in the time and that like sweat equity so like that's that's the first step in it Mm. like the education you're going to gain it throughout the way and you need to continue that but a lot of times I feel like people ask me that question and Mm. you know when when I actually decided to make the switch and like do personal training or, or, or instruction, fitness instruction. I'm like, I just did it. Yeah. Like I just started. Yeah. You have to do it. Y- yeah. You have to just start. 
And then, yeah. so you, so you compete as well mm-hmm. in boxing. So yes. you mentioned that you went yeah. to boxing and it was fun. You just did it as a fitness yeah. thing. And now, you know, I feel like it's become so synonymous with you and who you are. And I know. You know the, yeah, <laughs> seriously. But the discipline, the mindset, yeah. you know, you talk a lot about online about, about that. Mm. So yeah, what was it about boxing that kind of, how did it draw you in and what have you learned from boxing? Yeah. You know, and I said it did start as just like a hobby, a fun th- fun thing for me. Um, and it really was. I, I was lucky because I think what attracted me to it was the people who I first laced up with, like the first people that I boxed with. Um, you know, they, they turned out to be professional boxers themselves. And they were so passionate and so giving. And it's interesting because boxing has this weird stigma where like people think it's really like scary and like intimidating it really isn't because once you're in a boxing gym people are a hundred percent there to support you it's a it's an individual sport but there's a huge team uh supporting you through it and I literally can't even remember now the timeline exactly because I have to admit I'm terrible with timelines like in general like if I'm dating someone or like this that I'm like I we've been dating for uh couple a year or so like happy anniversary i know i'm like no but so when it comes to the boxing (laughs) timeline i don't really remember when i absolutely started getting serious but um i i started putting in the work i would say a, a long time ago now um and was at Mendez boxing when I actually started to really really get serious about it and I was also training with um the coach I have now his name is Ray um but then I went to Gleason's and I started training with Johan Guzman and he was an insanely talented boxer himself uh pro boxer and amazing coach and when I got the bug to just go compete because forever I said I wanted to compete and I I sparred for a long time, you know, even though you don't put that stuff on social media always. I've been sparring for a very long time. Mm. And um, <laughs> but I think I'm just a personal person too. But the the competition, when that came to play, when I finally said I wanted to compete, you know, I, I uh, solely worked with Ray at Trinity Boxing. And, and it's a totally different mindset. So you you have to really dedicate your time and um your diet does change your your training changes insanely like um how did it change you're more efficient and you can't waste your time on uh workouts and you can't do super hard work you have to be very smart with your training like obviously you're you're going to be boxing a lot but running comes into play a lot of running um trying to pick up the pace sprints I learned a lot about myself as an athlete uh after a fight that I lost I um I you know gassed out within the first round second round you know the lactic acid really built and I I couldn't really pass uh uh, surpass it and I felt really uh beat up by it and kind of down on myself because I don't think I fully committed to the training program in my head first, okay. right? And I think 
boxing really is a mental sport, a physical sport, and then an emotional sport. So, like, mentally you just have to be there, and that's what I really learned. Like, if you're not before you walk in the ring, like, it doesn't – that that doesn't start when you walk in the ring. Like, you have to be mentally preparing yourself through your sessions. It has to become a part of your practice. And then physically, obviously, you got to be in shape to mm. – to you gotta not in shape just in physical like your mental shape as well um learning the craft of boxing you have to know why you're doing what and what punch and how to if they go here you go there like it's it's definitely uh strategic Mm -hmm. and then emotionally like you get emotional and it's over you know okay so it's just like you you're emotional you get upset with yourself or this that and the other it's just a, just like a snowball effect where each second you can feel each second of the round when you're like just like frustrated. beat up frustrated the seconds feel like eternity and you're like holy shit can the bell just ring you know you're like I just need like a pause but wow. yeah it's intense it's intense but when you said okay I want to compete mm-hmm. I don't know how long it was between that decision and your first fight. Yeah. But that to me, you know, the thought of, you know, I do sports. I, yeah. I, I think I trained myself pretty hard. I think I train my mind yeah. and my body, but I'm in control of my mind and my body. Yeah. But then you add in this whole other element, because if you're in a ring with someone else, mm-hmm. how do you, or how did you, I guess, think about that the first time, you know, what's this person going to be like? What's their training going to be like? Yeah. Are they going to be stronger than me, faster yeah. than me? Are, am I going to, do you have like a game plan in terms of like keeping it cool? And, you know, are they going to be intimidated by you? There's so much yeah. of like psychology going in there. There is, right? But you've got to focus on yourself. It's crazy because I don't think people understand that about boxing as well. It's like the psychology behind it and the whole you do you look especially in amateur boxing because you look at your opponent you don't know anything about them and there's there's really no videos of your your opponent fighting period and I remember my first fight just psyching myself out I'm like I'm looking at her and Ray my coach is like just stop you can't read a book by its cover especially in boxing he's like believe me you cannot read a boxer by its cover like you look at someone you think they're gonna kick your ass and then you're like what (laughs) you know you're always like what so I'm like staring at her I'm like oh my god she looks like she looks like she's good she looks like she's strong she's like she's really strong he's like he's like just do you you go in with a game plan for sure like whatever you're working on um I remember for that one obviously in amateur boxing you want to you want to get it started right away and we were, um, you know, just trying to put pressure, trying to be the aggressor, um, back the person up, uh, and see if we can stop, you know, see if we could go for a stoppage, just like kind of just rip the bandaid off the first fight. You just kind of go for it, see how you react. You never know how you're going to react once you're in front of bunch of people and and also how does it yeah. sound silly question maybe but i've never you know i've been boxed how does it feel actually physically getting hit by someone yeah. do you know what i mean how do yeah. you prepare yourself to be like the physical pain do you mm. feel the pain at the time do you feel yeah. the pain if someone's just actually punch you in the face or no well i think that's how you know if you like to fight or not because if someone hits you in the face and you're super rocked by it and you're like uh-uh then you probably shouldn't like 
compete boxing. Okay. But if someone hits you in the face and you're like, let's go. <laughs> it gives you this like sudden rush of like adrenaline. That's when you know that you should compete. And that's what happened for me. I remember I got hit in the face first time ever right down the center with like a jab or something. And I was like, whoo, all right, let's dance. Let's go. Um, but <laughs> yeah, it's, it's interesting. I, I talk about that a little bit because our natural instinct as human is like fight or flight. Right. Mm-hmm. And usually if someone is like punching you, you want to defend yourself. You want to run away. So you have to really reprogram yourself to a not flinch because flinching is a big thing. If someone like throws something at you, a lot of time you flinch or punch and punch. So if someone's um, let if someone's punching you, so being punched and punching is rather what I'm trying to say is like as someone is punching you, you're receiving a punch. You got to you got to find a way to punch back or move and punch. So it's it's kind of weird because you're doing a lot at the same time and you see a lot of people now a lot of people are working with those neuro coaches and doing neurological training because it's being able to turn off one part of your brain and turn on the other part and you know that whole world is a little bit foreign to me I I mean I would love to get more involved in it but um I think tapping into that you know they they said that Tyson was hypnotized so he was hypnotized to be a not I, I I mean, I don't want to say killer, but I think he was hypnotized to be like, you know, in the ring, a monster. And he had those anchors where he would walk in the ring and his job, his sole mission was to conquer, was to defeat, was to win. So um, I think there is a lot of like brain training that definitely goes on. Mm-hmm in a pro world, maybe not as much in the amateur world because, you know. But it's that alter ego again, the yeah. alter ego. Cause you know, mm-hmm. you might have to be that person yeah. to win a fight, mm-hmm. but you're not that person after. Exactly. You know? And uh, someone said to me what I just, I love, I loved this because it's, it's so true just in general. When you fight in the ring, you res- there's a respect. But when you fight outside of the ring, like you fight on the street, it's disrespect, right? So you respect each other in the ring outside. If you get in a fight outside, that's disrespect. So I think that's a good thing for people to remember who aren't, um, you know, boxers or who don't do any sort of martial arts. Like fighting is not a like barbaric thing. It's actually, it's scientific. It's smart. It's like people are very clever and very smart who do these things. But it's the people on the street who get in these, like, you know, egotistical fights. Mm. That's the difference, mm. right? Yeah, it's not about ego. It's not about ego in the ring. It really, it humbles you right away, right? There's there's no other way. When, when you're in there, you're not ready. You're not prepared. Someone's better than you, no matter what size they are le- relatively. You're like, wow, you know, and you shake their hand afterwards and you tell them good job and you say thank you. Mm-hmm. Because it's like, thank you for the work. Thank you for your energy and your space. Mm-hmm. Because it is, it's one of those crafts where it's, there's so much honor between each other and respect for each fighter. Wow. Anyone who's willing to get in, in the ring and lace up their gloves, there's there's definitely a respect for it. Mm. So I mean, I respect it because honestly, yeah. I don't think I could, I don't think yeah. I could do that. It's not in, mm-hmm. in my 
yeah in my mind but yeah so one thing I want to talk to you about which is something that I think about whenever I think of you the word discipline is in my mind you know mm-hmm. whether that's from the ballet from the boxing from your work ethic hustle you know living in a city like New York and working seven days a week and yeah you know I guess, do you, do you think, you know, I, I ask people on this show sometimes about, you know, how do they stay motivated or, you know, what's the key to consistency and discipline? And, you know, they give us great advice, great insights, but I want to ask you, do you think that it's something that you had and it's innate and it's not something that people can develop or, or, or learn or, or teach? It's just, you have, you know, a disciplined work ethic mindset, you know, or do you think that anyone, anyone listening to this or anyone who, you know, young old whatever wherever they are in their journey maybe they've never done fitness maybe they've never maybe they run maybe they box may swim do you think that anyone can develop that the discipline required to really I don't know if achieve is the right word but do you know do you know what I'm saying like to kind of to be dedicated yeah no actually I I have like a 50 50 on this because I don't think it is completely um, uh, possible for people to, I, I do think it is a mindset that you're kind of pre-designed with and it's, it's developed at a really young age and it might even be your parents just like simply making you take out the garbage or like have chores. I really think that that like that upbringing has a major point in your discipline or maybe the lack of upbringing made you discipline. Like, I don't know what it is. Um, but I think it starts really young. Also, and this is this is gonna sound like really left field (laughs) I think um and I know people will hate this answer uh I sometimes operate out of fear and I know that's like not what you would ever think someone like me would say and I I truly like I moved to the city and I didn't have anyone really other my parents of course they're supportive but like you know they they're they're not capable of supporting me if things go south and if I don't have um you know if I didn't have success so I think knowing that in the back of my head it it really has become like a fearful thing where I believe if I slow down and, and I know I've, I've been able to kind of uh, let go of those emotions and it's something I'm still exploring. The older I get, the easier it becomes, the more I understand why I feel that way. But I, I do think that a part of the hustle for me really is because I fear the day that I don't have the things I have. Mm, it's born out of necessity. Yeah. Mm, yeah. I think that's really powerful though because a lot of people will say that, you know, yeah, if they had a backup or if they had a plan B or if they had a safety net or if mm-hmm. they had, they wouldn't do what they've done or they wouldn't have achieved the success yeah. that they've had in whatever, you know, sport, career, mm-hmm. because they didn't have, there was no other option. But on the flip side of the coin, it has inhibited me from taking some amazing opportunities that I think I do regret. And I know everyone, I'm throwing around fearing regret, mm. saying that there are things I I people will probably not expect from me but I uh I do regret things I do have regrets um you didn't take risks you mean yeah from not taking risks that I should have taken and um 
you know, I, I think in, in that is from the fear of not having a job or not being able to uh, support myself. I have taken, uh, I haven't taken the risks that I probably should have on a couple of things. And it's never too late. And I think those are things like I've put out in front of me this year and going into, um, uh, you know, a different stage of life, a transitional stage in my life. Uh, I am trying to challenge myself to get more uncomfortable and let go of some of the fear and, you know, I also believe at a certain point in your career, you have set yourself up enough that you will be able to fall back on something. So, and the fallback no longer is, you know, uh, hoping that your parents or whatever will help you out if things go wrong, which, like I said, that wasn't really a possibility. The, 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 the um, fallback is just your talent in the work you did put in is like it's there mm. and people will know that so yeah well thank you for being so yeah. so honest and so candid because you know as you said I think a lot of people act from a place of fear but as you said it's not actually action it's inaction yeah. fear causes inaction. inaction so you don't you know take the risk or you don't maybe believe in yourself enough to think you know what you know, I think, yeah, it's definitely different for people who have support or a plan B or mm-hmm. whatever, because if for them, it's like perhaps, you know, taking a risk, it's like, okay, well, you know, just do your best, you know, if it works out great, if it doesn't, it doesn't. But I yeah. think, yeah, inaction is something that I have been thinking about a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I've talked about a few times because inaction really is my biggest fear. It's the, the biggest risk of all is inaction. Yeah. Because at least if you've done it, whatever way it plays out, you tried. Yeah. You know? something you're choosing how you want to start your day. Mm-hmm. So, Jaws, I'm excited for this. I want to know. <laughs> I want to know what time you get up. I want to know. I know, it, you know, depending on your schedule, yeah. your classes that you teach here in, in the city. But do you have any rituals in the morning? What's the first hour of your day like? Yeah. So, you know, I'm going to give you an average of when I get up because mm. it kind of varies throughout the week. But I'd say on average it's 6 a.m. And truth be told I'm not a morning person at all and I do have a night ritual because I know I'm not a morning person so I really have to set things up the night before I have to lay out things I have to have everything ready to go 
um, because I'm one of those snooze button people. Like I, I'll just snooze and snooze. I am so surprised. I'm I so surprised. I, I had hate a, it. <laughs> I had a picture of you in my mind with like a hoodie on and the hoods up and like she's out the door <laughs> and it's dark and the you know like the cold breath. Yes, it's rocky. She's running. Ready. I'm literally yes. like it's Jaws and it's five a.m. and she is out there busting it like <laughs> literally before you've even had your breakfast she's already done the work you know i know so i'm so surprised that you hit snooze you hit snooze. i know isn't that embarrassing <laughs> no i'm like people are gonna be happy they're like yes <laughs> me too adrienne you're a freak people hit snooze you know you are a freak <laughs> in the best way <laughs> i don't know what snooze is i have Dude, i have zero snooze yes. i want someone to create an alarm a contraption that just beats you up like the alarm goes off in a big like glove comes around and smacks you in the <laughs> face or someone makes something that like sp- sprays water on you i like, mean just I've, like i've heard of a few different things about um one is that you i think it's like a some kind of alarm where there's mm-hmm. two parts to the alarm so one is uh, in your room and one is outside of your smart. house or like in, oh <laughs> yeah yeah or in another room and you, and have, you have to, to literally yeah you have to get up you have to go down the stairs open your front door walk outside and press this thing for it to go off wow yeah yeah, yeah. see i mean once i'm up i am up i'm okay. good to go like i grab i actually drink a lot of water when i wake up because i'm always parched but I do think that that helps you with energy in the morning and I'll go right for coffee. I love coffee. Um, it's really the taste. Cause I don't know if, if the effect of caffeine really is that effectful for me. I, I don't know. I do love the taste of coffee. Um, and I, I'm a shower person. I like to shower in the morning. I just like to, cold sun, or hot? you know, hot shower. Okay. Yeah. I actually rarely do cold showers unless it's after training. Mm-hmm. I'm like cold shower, just mm-hmm. cool it all down. Um, but yeah, like I said, everything's set up. So I just get to roll in. I don't really wear that much makeup. Um, one of the reasons is because it just takes too long. Okay. So low maintenance. Yeah. Low maintenance. And it's not because I don't want to wear makeup or do my (laughs) hair. It's just because... I don't have enough time to okay. because I hit snooze. Hit <laughs> I hit snooze. Um, uh, yeah, and I'll just, uh, you know, I try to look put together, but obviously, you know, moisturizer is a big thing for me. Like, I, as long as I have moisturizer on my face and... Um, and coffee. And a and coffee. Water. Yeah, She's and good. water. I'm She's good. good. All right, yeah. cool. So you have your, your, more of your ritual is in the night preparing mm-hmm, for the preparing. morning. But yeah. in the morning, I like to turn on the news a little bit. Um, I like the sound just to like, I talk uh, just to warm up my voice, mm-hmm. you know, get the muscle going um, around the cords. Uh, but I like the news on just because I want to hear about what's happening a little bit. Um and then you teach now at Rumble. So you teach at mm-hmm. Rumble um, here in New York. I actually took Jaws Rumble class yeah. this week. It was amazing. And, what, and I th- you know, so many people in the class are like big fans of you, you know, yeah. that after they're like, isn't she, do you, how do you know Jaws? Do you know her? She's amazing. I've been doing her class for, for years. Yeah. Like they're really kind of, you know, you give so much. Mm-hmm. And I think people be- feel so connected to that. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. um, so how long have you been teaching at Rumble? Rumble, uh, over two years now. Yeah. And you teach, so you have, I was saying about, you know, you get up and you get out, you have early morning classes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you have an early class every day? No, but I do have, uh, personal clients, personal training clients sure. every morning, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then if it's not a personal training client, it's, um, 
either me training or a rumble class. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And are you training for anything right now? What's next for you? So outside of, yeah, you're, you're coaching and, and you do so many things. I mean, you know, uh, Jules does movement direction. You do, mm -hmm. you know, you have an incredible, you need to, we're going to get the, the IG because the social yeah. is so cool. It's so yeah. inspiring. You oh. always have a message to share, but also the, you're so creative with imagery and yeah. movement Thanks. and it's, it's beautiful and amazing. Yeah. So yeah, you do a lot of things, but are you training? right now for a specific fight hopefully yeah you know I, I've been teetering around um, a couple options in November for a fight uh, it's not locked in but um, honestly for amateur boxing you don't really have to have a super long time of preparation it's just like a very short intense amount of time to prepare um, others may feel different but uh, that's how we do it uh, and and you dropped in the other day, just in conversation casually, that you train with firefighters. And I'm yes. Like, so so mm -hmm. New York City firefighters. New York City firefighters. Uh, you're the, training The partners. women fighters there mm. are incredible people and insanely talented boxers. Like Golden Glove champions. Like wow. These people are the, the cream of the crop. You know, not only are they saving people's lives, but they're also incredible athletes. So it's like one of these things where I just feel really honored to even just get to have spend time with someone like that. It's pretty cool. Mm. Secretly, like I would I wish I was a firefighter, too. I'm like, you're, they're so inspiring that they make you like want to mm. do something like that. Yeah. Awesome. OK, yeah. well, before I ask you my closing question, in fact, I have two. Cool. Can you tell the listeners where they can find you online? OK, yes. Follow? So I think the best thing would be my Instagram mm -hmm. and it's at Jaws Nelson. Yep. Um, and I have some like fun little things that I hope to launch in the next couple of weeks um, soon. And I'm going to keep every all the updates there on Jaws Nelson and then I'd say that that'd be the best way to get a hold of me awesome <laughs> yeah. cool before I ask you my closing question because I feel like I haven't even touched on the fact that okay the IG is Jaws Nelson mm -hmm. Jaws oh now I know <laughs> that you love sharks can you just can we just go there for a minute because people are going to ask me like wait her name is Jaws I'm like yeah yes so talk to, <laughs> talk to us about the name and about sharks yeah sometimes I feel like a certain way towards my nickname because people will be so confused by it. I'm like, just go with it. Just stop. Just go with just it. Just accept my name. Just accept it. But um, Jaws actually honestly came from the movie Jaws. And I watched it when I was young. My mom let me watch it when I was younger. And I loved it. I loved the shark. She told me that the villain wasn't actually a bad shark like they made it out to be worse than it was and and I felt sympathy towards the shark so after that just started calling myself Jaws I have no clue why I loved to call myself a lot of different names I was one of those weird kids who That's just amazing. was like I'm gonna call myself this this week but Jaws seemed to stick because it's it's a sticky name mm -hmm. right um and when I got into um, like my professional life and I told the story to some theater friends there who really made Jaws into a thing. And from that, it just became what I went by because I thought it was it was just a really easy name to remember. And also uh, kind of not sure what to expect. You, you, you're like, oh, my instructor's name is 
jaws and people are always like what and then you know you look at me i don't look intimidating at all i'm a pretty normal looking person so pretty badass no well not i mean you look you you think jaws you're like whoa it's gonna walk up (laughs) what who is this person but um and you love sharks. Yeah, I love I love sharks. I, I just I have this deep appreciation for sharks. I, I think they are so um, mysterious and misunderstood. And I love that about them because that's something that I just relate to sharks in so many, so many different levels. Like they've been around for a really long time. There's so much we still don't know about them. They'll probably outlive everyone. Um, they're really beautiful creatures and i love that you know you you drop a lion in the ocean right and it's no longer the the main predator right it's now the prey for the sharks so when you really think about it sharks are like really um powerful uh creatures Mm. and i think that's kind of cool um i just like you know everything 360 degrees of why Hmm. I think sharks are cool yeah I love that and I love actually you know just hearing you talk about you know the name and you know you said oh you know it's that weird kid I think when you're a child and you change your name a lot or you change (laughs) anything like I remember changing everything I would change my room around I would change like oh I'm gonna be this This, now and I want to be that now and I think it's really cool to explore Mm -hmm. and kind of have this like I don't know, we, we have these concepts and constructs that are put onto us as yeah. we develop, as we grow, and as adults more than ever, you know, as an mm-hmm. adult, most people, they have a concept or a construct or a persona or that is who you are now. Mm-hmm. You've become this person and that's who you are. Yeah. And, you know, whether it's your job that defines you, whether it's your, you know, I don't know, raising kids, whether it's the place you live, whether it's the culture, the religion, something has made you and your identity mm-hmm. and it's fixed. Yeah. And I'm kind of obsessed with change transition but I think when you just described then you know maybe I don't know maybe I'm going too deep on it but maybe when you you know you watch the movie you're like I want to be called Jaws it's like all those things that you just described about the shark is powerful and they're beautiful and you know you're a ballerina but you're Mm -hmm. strong and you want to do what the boys do and it's like it's almost like yeah the there's some it's like mirroring there yeah like the stereotypes like I, I think that was always without me knowing it I was one of those people who were breaking the stereotype as a kid like transcending into adulthood i i i think it it it's uh there is definitely a group of people you feel it i i'm i tend to gravitate towards other people like that who who do break stereotypes and and i also i want to do both or I, you know why and why can't i like i was the why kid why yeah why awesome. why yeah yeah, yeah like everything everything was why <laughs> So, yeah, I agree. It's, it's definitely one of those things where, um, you know, being able to put your own twist on it and not be, like, defined by a certain thing. Mm. Especially now with Instagram. And you see, you see it. Yeah. People are kind of, like, we're becoming each other. Like, we're, like, kind of, uh, like, uh, robots. Mm. We look at Instagram. Sometimes we try to, like, mimic instead of create. So, um I just challenge people to create more and to, to like be them unapologetically them. Um, because obviously you'll, you'll find your group of people. 
Awesome. Okay, my closing question is usually the same. And I ask this same question and I've been asking it for almost a year, okay. coming up to the one year anniversary. And um, I interviewed Jesse Zappo here in New York. Yes. And I decided, maybe it's just because I'm on the other side of the globe. Maybe it's just the vibe. Maybe I'm just jet lagged. But I decided <laughs> for the first time that I was going to change the question. Wow. I know, right? Just just, just changed it. It's so very gonna, exciting. So it's usually because it's the power hour and I love to talk about people's journeys and the time and everything that they've they've done I normally ask what is the most valuable thing that time has taught you but for Jessie I, I asked her about running so Jaws mm-hmm. what is the most valuable thing that sports has taught you the most valuable thing that sport has taught me um I'd say resilience uh, no matter how many times you get knocked down, not to sound corny, but it's like, you know, it's how it's how many times you get up, right? And and I've been <laughs> knocked down. I know a lot of people have, but I've been knocked down a lot of times more than I've ever shared, because again, I'm a personal person. But I think sport has taught me how to be resilient and to keep persevering and push through anything that is gonna any punch that's going to come my way amazing yeah i'm so inspired i feel like i wish i could be badass enough to just <laughs> go i'm gonna start boxing but i'm no not. but you are badass so oh, thank you. we are in our own special way and we're always matching <laughs> i wish you could see us we're always <laughs> matching i don't know how we do this but we're both wearing adidas of course we're both wearing red yeah it's a vibe it is we look good i know <laughs> we have just like a, a girl group right here yeah i'm gonna right. start a band <laughs> I'm, into it. I'm gonna see you hopefully again yes very soon i hope that you will come to london and yeah get into it people you need to follow online so thank you so much for thank today you. for giving us the time for being so honest i've absolutely loved talking to you thank you so much for listening i really hope you've enjoyed this nyc edition uh, i hope i got the mics right thank you jack for editing this <laughs> thank you jack in the box <laughs> thank you jack in the box love it don't forget you can rate and review the show on itunes reach out let us know if you enjoyed this episode and have an awesome week see ya Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.